Hello. Happy Wednesday, January 6th. It is me again, your host, Sean, and welcome to another episode of This Day in Wikipedia. One of the things I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast is just learning more about people that I already kind of knew a little bit about. And in today's episode, I think you'll see what I mean. Approximately this day, January 6th, 1412, Joan of Arc was born in France. I had heard of Joan of Arc, but I really didn't know much about her other than she was a French war hero and she died when she was like absurdly young, like 19, I think, is when she died. But I really didn't know much about her otherwise. So she was born a peasant, and when she was very young, she claimed to have received visions from the Archangel Michael, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandria, instructing her to support Charles VII and recover France from England during the Hundred Years' War. She had to beg to be sent out to the front line, and her first battle that she took part of was the Siege of Orleans. Her arrival at the siege sparked hope in the French, and it turned the tide of battle against England. She then went on to lead French forces against England throughout the Loray Valley, and her leadership in these battles paved the way for a decisive French victory in 1453, thus ending the Hundred Years' War, and one of the longest wars in history. However, sadly, Joan of Arc did not live to see the end of the war. In 1430, at roughly the age of 19, Joan of Arc was captured by a group of French nobles who were aligned with England and then was later handed over to England to be put on trial for heresy. Her trial was a sham trial and it was primarily designed to be a, quote, ploy to get rid of a bizarre prisoner of war with maximum embarrassment to their enemies. Reading more about her trial, it was really... It really struck me at the depths of which people went to to try to press charges against her for crimes, either real or imaginary. One of the things that she was accused of was cross-dressing because she preferred to wear a men's military uniform <laughs> instead of a dress when a dress would provide literally no protection during battle. In 1456, and I'm probably going to butcher this, I apologize, Pope Calixitus III pronounced her innocent of all charges after doing their own investigation and declared her a martyr. Napoleon Bonaparte declared her a national symbol of France, and in 1920 she was canonized. One of the really interesting things about Joan of Arc, and I think I may have said this earlier, was that she was a peasant and she did not come from nobility. If you are interested more in her trial, because there really is a lot to it, uh, I will link a Wikipedia article that goes into a deep dive of the trial herself and the links that the British went to to charge her with crimes. On this day, January 6th, 1993, jazz trumpeter and pioneer Dizzy Gillespie died. Dizzy Gillespie was born October 21st, 1970 as John Gillespie. He is one of the most well-known jazz trumpeters and was considered a virtuoso on the horn. 
He was a pioneer in jazz music and a leading figure in bebop. He was born in South Carolina. His dad was a band leader, and by the age of four, Gillespie had started to play the piano. And by age 12, he started playing the trumpet. His father died around this time as well. And growing up, Gillespie's biggest idol in the world was jazz, a jazz trumpeter named Roy Eldridge. And his love of Roy Eldridge had a strong impact on his musical development. Going through Dizzy Gillespie's life, it's really hard to kind of encapsulate everything that the man did in his life because he was a very prolific musician throughout his life. I could probably spend a full 20-minute episode just talking about all the bands that Gillespie played for, all the music that Gillespie did. While doing research for this, I found a really funny story. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily like, ha 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 funny, but it's an interesting insight to the guy's life. Apparently, Gillespie was known to be kind of a troublemaker and a prankster, and while playing for the Cab Calloway Orchestra, uh, he had already started to kind of develop some tensions with the leader of the group, Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway wasn't necessarily a fan of Dizzy Gillespie's horn playing, but he respected Gillespie's talent. During a performance, somebody threw a spitball, kind of just in general, not like really aimed at anyone, but it incensed Calloway, who accused Gillespie of throwing the spitball at him. Gillespie refused to take responsibility for the spitball, and it led to a physical altercation between the two, and it ended with Gillespie stabbing Calloway in the leg. Calloway subsequently fired Gillespie from the band, and a few days later, he Gillespie tried to go apologize, but Calloway pretty much just like, straight dismissed him. The two eventually reconciled later in life. Uh, I found an article that said it was roughly 30 years after the event itself. Gillespie's kind of golden era started during 1942 when he became the face of bebop music. As I said, his lifetime accomplishments are just way too numerous to go into detail here. The man received numerous accolades in his life, including a Grammy for the Lifetime Achievement Award, he was also bestowed the Kennedy Center Honors Award and the American Society of Composers Duke Ellington Award. The Rough Guide to Jazz described Dizzy Gillespie's music as follows. The whole essence of Gillespie's solo was cliffhanging suspense. The phrases and the angle of approach were perpetually varied. Breakneck runs were followed by pauses, by huge interval leaps, by long, immensely high notes, by slurs and smears and bluesy phrases. He always took listeners by surprise, always shocking them with new thought. His lightning reflexes and superb ear meant his instrumental execution matched his thoughts in its power and speed. And he was concerned at all times with swing, even taking the most daring liberties with pulse or beat. His phrases never failed to swing. Gillespie's magnificent sense of time and emotional intensity of his playing came from childhood roots. His parents were Methodists, but as a boy he used to sneak off every Sunday to the uninhibited, sanctified church. He said later, 
The Sanctified Church had a deep significance for me musically. I first learned the significance of rhythm there and all about how much music can transport people spiritually. And then, on this day, January 5th, 1839, the Night of the Big Wind occurred in Ireland. I've always been kind of interested with the fact that tornadoes seem to be kind of a uniquely American thing. You never really hear about tornadoes in other countries, although I'm sure they exist. You just almost never hear about them. So when I saw this in Wikipedia, I was like, oh yes, this is something I definitely want to talk about. So the Night of the Big Wind was one of the most devastating storms to ever hit Ireland. The storm system itself began to develop on January 5th when a rare snowstorm fell across Ireland during the night. During the day of January 6th, a warm front moved in which brought the temperatures way above its normal average, causing all the snow to melt. At the same time that this was happening, a depression was forming over the Atlantic Ocean and moved towards Ireland. The resulting cold wind from the depression and the warm temperatures over land brought about incredibly strong winds and rain. It was also a really slow-moving storm too, which accounted for much of the destruction. By the morning of January 7th, the storm had achieved almost hurricane-like strength. The storm was estimated to have killed between 250 and 300 people. Between 20 and 25 percent of houses in Dublin were destroyed. The storm system also brought in massive flooding on the coast and winds were estimated at roughly 115 miles an hour. The storm also caused 42 shipwrecks, and two of the major shipwrecks resulted in damages worth approximately 500,000 pounds, or 52.2 million pounds in modern money. The storm became part of Irish folklore, and the storm became part of Irish folklore. Irish folklore held that Judgment Day would occur on the Feast of Epiphany, which was January 6th. So the fact that such a severe storm occurred on the Feast of the Epiphany led many to believe that the end of the world was at hand. When the Old Age Pensions Act of 1908 was introduced for over 70, there was really no records of birth registration, and so one of the questions used to establish proof of age was whether the applicant remembered the night of the big wind. And yeah, it's just, it's weather events like this. I work for insurance. And so over the last several years, I've become kind of amateur weather person because I'm always following storms that are coming through the U.S. So just reading about a storm of such ferocity and destruction in Ireland, I thought was really kind of wild. You just don't ever really hear of big destructive windstorms anywhere outside of the U.S. So, with that being said, have a wonderful Wednesday, and I will see you all on Thursday, January 7th. I'm just going to say, I'm really excited about the January 7th episode, so I hope you guys like it as much as I do. Have a great day.